Welcome to Talking Film, the podcast from QUB Film. I'm your host, Amanda Doherty, and today our guests are Joan Parsons, Mimi Turtle and Hugh Audling-Smee. And today our question is, when is a cinema not a cinema? So thank you all so much for being here. Thank you. It's so great to have you here. And it's uh, brilliant to have you here, uh, particularly at this time. It's such an pertinent question coming on the back of what we've been through this year, what cinemas have been through and how we've had to redefine the space and what exactly a cinema means. So I guess some of the things that we'll be chatting about today will be the changing nature and functions of cinema space over the years, what has happened to some former cinemas and how have cinemas adapted to new technologies and competitions for audiences and how is that going to guide us into the future. So as mentioned, this has been uh, an incredible year for adaptation for the world of cinema and it's been uh, something that's come with real challenges and also some small successes when it comes to our strength and resilience in the face of everything of the pandemic. How have you adapted so far to everything that you've had to um, change as you go along? Does anyone want to jump in with that? Uh, yes, yeah, so I can jump in with that. Um... I would say uh, cinemas in general are really adaptive. So cinemas have always kind of rolled with the punches and um, embraced change um, throughout the history of the of the industry. Um, and in the last 18 months, what we've seen is um, a real acceleration of um, adaptations and innovations, which which by and large were likely to have occurred in the longer term anyway um and what we've seen is is a reaction from the mm -hmm. industry to kind of move things much quicker um and i think what that has involved has been you know people really having to move out of traditional business models um but also um it has been really exciting i think to watch kind of different organizations um try new things and and test the waters and i think we'll we'll follow that period of in, of intense change with a period of sort of actually settling down and things kind of coming to a, this is maybe what new mm -hmm. release strategies look like and this is what cinemas are um but i think the the fundamental experience of going to the cinema won't have changed really um and that is something that hasn't changed for the whole period so if you think about when people went to the cinema or it, the standard of turning up, paying your ticket, sitting and watching a film and then nattering about it with your friends has been the same for an awful long period of time. So really that's just been on pause and the rest of the industry sort of behind the scenes has been very busy mm -hmm. innovating. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And do you think that are there any um, other thoughts you want to add on to that? Anyone else? Mimi? Uh, yeah, I think we, we've had this strange period of opening and closing and opening and closing throughout lockdown. It's really hard to, it's probably too early. We haven't reopened and had a, any substantial period of open and trade to see quite what the adaptions and changes will be. Obviously, in terms of release formats and stuff, there's some indicators of changes and changes ahead. But as Joan was saying, I, I, I think what people value most is at the core what hasn't changed it's that sense of togetherness that you get in the cinema um and that is a real point of difference to enjoying film at home it's it's being in that you know enclosed darkened space with strangers and laughing at the same moments or gasping or whatever 
Um, so it, it is funny when you pair it back, it's the very simple um, experience that, that people are so drawn to. Um, obviously, there's a lot of bells and whistles that go around that. And, and that's what makes one cinema very different to another, um, which is probably where the, the question comes from uh, when, when there's such diversity in the sector. What is it essential that holds it together? I would say that one of the things that has been interesting this year is how uh, more people have realised that cinema is a chain, uh, you know, of of different parts. So it's distributors, it's production, it's cinema, you know, it's it, it's uh, food suppliers, all that sort of stuff. You know, a crisis like this makes the makes the constituent parts more obvious and uh, people realize that actually you know the cinema at the end of the road doesn't exist in a vacuum uh you know mm -hmm. uh, a cinema in belfast is is connected to america is connected to you know what um what's it what, what i don't know government decisions are made in india and things like that and i think that that sort of um that sort of connectivity across the sector has been what has really pleased us in terms of film hub we don't obviously run a cinema but we work with all different forms of cinema organizations like festivals and community cinemas and and so on i mean i would echo that i think that there there is a, a greater value now yeah. people realize the value of being together in a dark room and watching sto other people's stories mm -hmm. um but i think that in fact in terms of the sector i think you know uh this crisis has made the largest chains and the smallest community cinemas realize that they are part of the same ecosystem. Absolutely. I think that is an incredible point, Hugh. I think that you're so right. And I think that that also uh, speaks to a point that Mimi had made there about the um, the togetherness and how actually it is the coming together of people that makes this a particularly special event. And, you know, we've tried our best over this past year, I think, to adapt to that. Sometimes having, I don't know if you've had any film screenings over Zoom. I have tried it myself because it's that natter afterwards, chatting about it, breaking it down, sharing your opinions. That is a really beautiful part of, of engaging with film. But also, I guess it's interesting to see um, how important it is in terms of having the big screen. You know, we can watch a movie and we can have like a movie night in our uh, in our living room and it's not the same. It's not the same. We need to have things projected, do you know, and I guess for me, I'm thinking as well about um, a bit of a resurgence and a reappreciation of the lost art of the drive in cinema. I feel like that is coming right back for people in terms of how to we how do we adapt and how do we bring cinema into our own community? Just like you were saying there, Hugh. Well, yeah, although Drive-ins um, drive obviously have a big problem because they're environmentally not very good. If you're going to get 400 cars to go and sit in a car park, it's hardly really going to save the planet, that one. Um, I, I, I personally would be kind of not particularly in favour of drive-ins in general. A walk-in or a cycle-in, maybe that's slightly different. Uh -huh. But I think, um, I, think the, uh, I think what actually happened with drive-ins was a lot of opportunistic uh, kind of um, caravan park owners decided that they were going to make a quick buck at the start of lockdown. Um, and uh, and and banged up a screen on the on the side of an Arctic um, and hope for the best. Um, I, I I you know I, I think in America drive-ins make a lot of sense, but I think um, in our weather and our our environment and stuff like that, I think drive-ins are ferociously expensive to set up, <laughs> ferociously ferociously expensive for people to go to. Yeah. Um, you know, th thirty quid for a family and all that sort of stuff and a car, or whatever. Um, and uh, and really sort of 
yeah, I have a bit of a bugbear. Sorry, I jumped in there, but drive-ins annoy me. So there you go. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> I love people jumping in. It was fab. Okay. Such a strong opinion. Well. <laughs> I've personally never been to a drive-in. And I think that's why I, I, I'm just thinking, oh, isn't that quite nice? Because I just have this romanticized image and not a reality. It's not something I would have ever grown up in a culture of. I didn't grow up in a family with a car. So it's always something that to me seemed like, oh, out of reach. That seems so lovely. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, Greece and things like that gives us a sense of the drive-in. But, um, but, but I mean, as far as we need. Look, I think a lot of people got a lot out of them during the first lockdown when cinemas disappeared and things like that. But as a long-term solution, no. No, absolutely. I've I've been to a drive-in and I really enjoyed the film screening, but I was among about twenty-five cars that needed jump-started at the end yeah. um, because it because it was like November and we all had us heaters on the whole time through. So I was like, actually, this doesn't really make a lot of sense in the long term. Um, but it was nice. There was a beaut- There was a real moment of beauty amongst it, and then like a crashing realization mm. at the end. I don't know how much, mm-hmm. uh, maybe uh, uh, Jonah made me know, but how much money you actually make from drive-ins? It seems a very expensive setup. And if you've got room for a lot of cars, you yeah. can make a lot of money. Mm. Okay. But if you've not got, you've got to have a real big space. It's also a wee bit like the cinema model. It's it's not so much the ticket prices. It's whether you can sell all the trimmings you know right okay food vans and people come buy a non-alcoholic beverage i would assume (laughs) presumably (laughs) yeah Mm. um but yeah that's trickier than getting them to walk past the sweetie shop on the way in yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely so we're hoping that uh, you know this isn't a a phase that continues then for hugh certainly (laughs) as we move on we have our cinemas open I just think that there are serious implications about how people watch film. And um, I think that we as a as a as a sector have a lot of environmental things that uh-huh. we have to think about um, and uh, and getting, you know, 50 people in diesel cars to come and sit. And Joan, maybe you've been to a drive in. Do you have to run your car? No, but uh, but it was freezing cold. Right. Okay, so, okay. so you ran it so that you could have your heater on. Right. Um, so theoretically, you should have all just been sat there without the engines running. But we, we were sort of trying to run it like, you know, 20 minutes out of every hour while we defrosted. Right. Um, but actually, yeah, it didn't. Maybe, frankly, I had a pretty rubbish car. So perhaps if you had a slightly more modern vehicle to uh, attend in, it wouldn't have been so cold. <laughs> and, uh, another form of alienating um, disadvantaged audiences there then. If you, have to, <laughs> if you have to bring your own Mercedes. Well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. My, my other do not or do not do a drive in with your three children to a greatest showman musical where everybody is chatting and some people singing and some people singing the wrong words in a very enclosed space. Not the most enjoyable viewing experience I've had. Right, okay. <laughs> That's brilliant. These are all great thoughts. I guess from that I would love to move on then and think about um some of the cinemas that we don't have anymore, whether they are here locally or whether they're famous, you know, former cinemas internationally and, and what happens to former cinemas. And I guess also, um, Joan, I'm particularly aware that, you know, because I, I was working at the QFT during QFT 50 
one thing I'd be aware of is like how that started in this different space that wasn't a cinema. What what happened to the QFT when you had to move somewhere else when there were refurbs being done? And, and how do we keep moving in this space? If there's any kind of points anyone wants to speak to there, that would be lovely. I think in terms of what happens to cinemas when uh, when they're closed is um, they're a very mixed bag of um, of outcomes. Mm -hmm. Some of them have been, you know, wildly successful bingo halls and Weatherspoons and churches, churches, churches mm -hmm. and carpet shops and all yeah. sorts. One of my actual favorite things to do this makes me sound a terrible geek is when i'm in a city i don't know is just try and guess which of the buildings were cinemas just from looking at the <laughs> facades and, that's uh, amazing and, well i remember doing it particularly remember doing it in hull the first time i went to hull and just wandering around and being like that i mean unbelievably awful pub has this incredible art deco facade a bit like the strand and was clearly like this incredible building and is now very much down at heel. And I think then our our country and, and, and the world is littered with these mm. like architectural beauties and frankly, architectural monstrosities, which were still cinemas. Um, but I really love that's my favorite thing is just to go like, I wonder if that slightly naff department yeah. store was once a cinema and, and guess. That's amazing. That's like the new game for everyone listening when we travel now do you think do you think it'll catch on joe <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's, it's gonna be it's gonna be one of my most successful trends i'm sure <laughs> slightly slightly depressing game but a good game all the same do you know <laughs> it's a wee bit sad adam and mimi you you're in you're the custodian of mm. an incredible piece of film history and cinema history so i'm sure that you kind of have strong feelings on it uh -huh, the last one stranding uh -huh. um yeah but i mean any anybody from a younger generation just cannot believe that belfast had 50 cinemas in the city mm -hmm. you know and mm -hmm. it was pre-tv era you know everything before the 50s that is where everybody went to get their pathé news and to to get a bit of entertainment it was absolutely everybody's go-to for for socializing um so yeah enormous numbers of buildings having to be moved on and, and, and put into all the various uses as joan was summarizing in northern ireland as well unfortunately an enormous number just floored and and not with mm -hmm. us at yeah. all um you know we're running a project at the minute strand stories which is to collect patrons you know experiences their oral history memories of of going to the strand but it is accidentally just you know grown legs and and everybody who has memories of all sorts of picture houses all around belfast and beyond um have been sharing their stories and when you realize that they need they feel compelled to tell you mm -hmm. well i went here or i you know my first date with my husband or this mm. you we now feel responsible to hold on to those memories um and of course yes. all the cinemas back in, in that sort of early you know post post-war era had so many universal characteristics so people come into the strand and it takes them back to whatever picture house was their picture house mm -hmm. of choice yeah and um, so it does feel quite natural that that you're um carrying on that legacy for all of the ones that have been and gone.
so I was going to say it feels to me like The Strand is sort of like the quintessential cinema of its time. Like if you were to draw a cinema, you'd come somewhere close to drawing something like The Strand. And I think each country has its own sort of idea of like, this is what cinemas look like. And to me, certainly cinemas look like Art Deco sort of mm. big uh, overhanging. Um, I don't know if there's a word for that. What's that bit that sticks out called? canopy awning yeah, yeah like the awning that sticks out uh, somewhere for a long queue to run around the side uh, a kind of a little kiosk and just i love it and i think if you were to say like what does an american cinema look like it would be a big massive neon sign sticking mm -hmm. out over the side of a building and i kind of think like you've got to have these spaces and i think one of the challenges running the qft is that it's so clearly is a mm -hmm. house and 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 it's i love that i do genuinely love that about it but it's quite hard to get people to understand yeah. that a house house is also a cinema mm. and like once you're understated oh yeah it's it's secret mm. once you get past the front door there's like there are some familiar elements mm -hmm. but i think yeah i like the idea that like cinemas could be hidden all over the place and you don't know they're there yeah. as well as cinemas that you're like because of course that's a cinema why would it be anything else mm. I think what's also interesting is the the kind of um, the, the proliferation of that time, and and you know the, uh, maybe he's talking about the post-war, but the, the sort of the boom of the twenties, certainly the nineteen thirties, um, of in cinema building, and I mean we were very blessed with uh, you know different sort of architects mm -hmm. uh, who you know the, um, such as it built built the Strand, but also we were we had a meeting the other day with um, some people who are interested in Kilkale Cinema is a 1930s, original 1930s cinema. Um, and it was designed by the same guy who was originally from Kilkale, who designed the North Street Arcade as well. So sort of classic Art Deco Belfast kind of um, feeling about it. And they now are seeing the cinema, which has been closed, I think, for about 15 years. Is that right, maybe about that? Something? In Kilkale, yes, about that. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's 2007 or something. Um, they are seeing it, it it could have a new use and it could have a new use as a, a cinema but also a community focus a hub mm -hmm. all these different elements that would be not just showing great films but also providing space for the community to do things and and it's interesting i mean obviously the, the title of this is when is a cinema not a cinema but the the new way that smaller communities look at, at cinemas is um is as a as a multi-purpose use sort of place where people can go engage with each other, but also watch film and film is very much part of it. Yes. Um, and I, and I think that's maybe the new story for film. Um, and yeah, you know, what film can be, what cinema can be. Yeah. Although arguably I, I would say that's the original story as well. You know, maybe, yeah. it yeah, was yeah. just a universal space. It was everybody from mm. all walks of life, all economic and social backgrounds. And it was where they got their news particularly for those yeah. who are illiterate um and yeah just it, it's that sense of togetherness yeah and it's a return it's a return <clears throat> kind of back to you know we saw in the 90s this a huge boom in in multiplex uh, constructions which were very frequently built in kind of out of town mm -hmm. centers and the idea that you came you traveled from your neighborhood to somewhere else to do your entertainment and had a night out and dinner in that. And I think the kind of idea that we return to like genuinely treasuring cinemas as mm. a complete and utter part of our communities mm. and our neighborhoods 
and that they are not just somewhere you go to you know you have to drive to or you have to kind of travel to they're somewhere that is just on the end of your street or you know a few blocks away and part of your neighborhood and and i think maybe that is something that will come you know feels to me like it's something that will come back um as as uh, audiences kind of value yeah. value that experience Absolutely. i think um cinema to me i mean i didn't work in cinema before i started working for the film hub and one of the things that always strikes me about cinema is how democratic it is how you know it's it's quite cross class it's very cross age although mm -hmm. you know with little fraying bits around the edges um and and it's a kind of it's a it's a it's an art form that engages right across a number of different demographics and things like that um you know race in america for example you know the, 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 it, it cuts right across race but also in britain as well what's interesting to me in, in you know because of that is that then you can actually a cinema becomes much more the cinema as a community kind of hub yeah. is much more open to a lot of different people and what worried me during the pandemic when multiplexes were under threat and all that sort of stuff is that what i love about cinema is the person who loves only real purist you know czechoslovakian 1960s cinema and the person who goes and watches goes and watches marvel or whatever it might be there is a link between them and i think that's to me is really important and really kind of uh really something that we should foster uh, as much as possible because the two are valid and, and worthy and we should see them as being as such you know absolutely absolutely and i think just touching on that and point that Joan that you've made there that, that, that people will potentially appreciate this so much more after a year of having been you know removed where we've had to just sit in our own separate space in our own separate bubble and enjoy things individually potentially now people will realize that there is so much more to the cinema than yes you're just going to watch a piece of work it is the experience it's the coming together and having um yes been denied that uh, for uh, such a long time yeah and i mean you can try as hard as you like but you cannot recreate that experience at home um because you'll get up halfway through and you'll pause <laughs> it and you'll go make a cup of tea or mm. you know there'll be a glare through your front room curtains on your telly or there'll just be like a whole mm -hmm. host of reasons why it's not the same and i kind of always say that that you know yes what we're doing as cinemas is selling the product which is the film that people come to see but actually what we're selling is an experience yeah. which is includes the product it's the same as saying you know you could um it's a bit like with restaurants and i suppose it's something they've been grappling with the idea that you could drive to your favorite restaurant and pick up a, a takeaway carton of your restaurant meal and take it home it's not the same mm -hmm. as sitting in a restaurant and feeling that kind of like oh moment when you have your first glass of wine you're not going to get that and i think in a cinema you know it's important that we um capitalize on and and emphasize that we are offering so much more than simply a product at the end of the day mm -hmm. and how do you think um we can push towards that a greater understanding of that and also preserving the legacy projects like Mimi you mentioned Strand Stories i think that sounds fabulous because it's getting a real understanding of the experience but how can we keep pushing forward with that? I, I think it's making sure, I mean, cinemas going back to what Joan said as we opened, have always evolved. We've always been changing the the experience mm -hmm. um, and 
and that is to ensure that those consumers are having an experience which is of a quality that moves with the times um mm -hmm. and continuing to do that and bearing in mind that a lot of that experience is about togetherness and socializing and and you know integrating within our buildings the space um for people to have conversations um and enjoy you know whether it's an alcoholic drink or something but to interact with each other i think has real importance it really adds value yeah it's funny that after the first lockdown the first film i went to see was mad max at strand and there was only me and a couple of teenagers and, and stuff uh, but it was it was extraordinary because the first time really in four months i was able to absolutely switch off I mean, I wouldn't say that I turn my phone off or any of that sort of stuff, but just the sheer size of the screen mm -hmm. and the the sound and the, all that sort of stuff. I was I forgot that there was a pandemic going on, uh, and I forgot all the things, the woes, and all. And, and I've never really subscribed to escapism and cinema as escapism before until that experience. Mm -hmm. And I I walked out and I suddenly went, my God, I haven't even I haven't thought about you know death rates or you know, which demographics going to get it in the neck next week and all that sort of stuff. And I find that that cemented for me the kind of sense of sitting in a dark room. I mean, other, other art forms, I'm sure, can do it, but but no, there's nothing like cinema because it's so immersive. The sound is so big. The screen is so big. The lights are so bright, you know, all that sort of stuff. So. That really reminds me, Hugh, of um, the experience for a lot of people watching Mamma Mia when it was first released. Right. Mamma Mia was released around the time of 9-11. And there, yeah, it was, um, I don't know if it was the movie or it was the musical, correct me if I'm wrong on either of those, but I remember reading this article before about the impact of Mamma Mia on New Yorkers after 9-11 because oh. of that feeling of just, you know, you don't know how badly um, some people need escapism until you're in that moment where you go, entertain me for two hours. In a darkened mm -hmm. room with a bunch of strangers, we all just need to be entertained and we need to have some kind of, you know, salve on our wounds, you know. Yeah. I also would say that in a, you know, in a year when we have not been anywhere, most of us, um, we've been, you know, I made it as far as the North Coast, but that's that's as far as I've got. And I think um, anything that kind of shows us stories from other places and other people's perspectives and other times and in mm. other universes even is just really kind of refreshing yeah. when all we've been yeah. doing is focusing on our own the minutiae of our own existences particularly if you've just been stuck in your own house looking mm. at the same walls for a year and i think you know actually just that kind of like even if not even if what you're getting is not kind of traditionally escapist stuff it might not be terribly cheerful but it might actually just take you somewhere else and mm. that that process of being able to kind of just remove yourself from your current reality and and see somebody else's story is really powerful um we're kind of getting to the point of wrapping up now i'd love to actually uh share with you a story and ask if you can think of any yourselves this is one of my most memorable moments of cinema and I was a child and I was taken to the cinema by my, two of my siblings. I went to see Jurassic Park with my brother and my sister. And it was a big thing because I was at a young age and then I was just with my siblings. There were no parents and we we're like, this is the coolest thing. I'm going to see Jurassic Park on the big screen. And it was in a multiplex in Derry City. And you know yourself, Derry's got all the water around it. And there must have been someone 
at that time, I think it was the US Navy, had been in Derry. And there were these three men who were American in uniform. And they came down into the row behind me and my brother and my sister. And they had these massive tubs of popcorn, like bigger than we were ever allowed to buy. <laughs> <laughs> we were never allowed giant popcorn. And these American strangers who we didn't know saw these three kids by themselves at the cinema to watch Jurassic Park. And they leaned over and they gave us one of these giant tubs. And they're like, there you go. That's for you. And we were so excited. We were like, oh, my God, we got some popcorn from the Americans and we're watching Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. And I was so excited. <laughs> and I remember having like a wee dance about it with my brother. And that was like one of the epic stories of our childhood would always remember the time the Americans gave us popcorn at Jurassic Park. It was an epic, epic evening. And it was so many different things combined that you just wouldn't get anywhere else where that is cinema. That is the experience of cinema. And to me, it was such a formative experience and it was so lasting. I can still feel the joy when I think about it now that I felt. And I would just love to hear from yourselves away from the talk about how we're adapting and the pandemic and the technology and everything like this. What are your top moments of your cinema memories? Um, okay, so I grew up, um, well, actually not quite. When I was about seven, I moved into a town and the cinema was quite genuinely at the end of my street. So it was one of the first places I was allowed to go on my own. So um, started off going to kind of like, they had like Saturday morning movies, like every other cinema in the world and started going to them on my own, which was felt like very, very grown up. And then my brother and all of his friends who are slightly older than me decided to go and watch Bill and Ted. And I was definitely like the youngest person in the room and like had to beg my mum to let me go with my brother and his friends. And halfway through the cinema, my mum changed her mind halfway through the film. So she marched into the <laughs> film and um, extracted me and made me walk out in front of all of these older and cooler kids and it was possibly one of the most mortifying experiences but I have this like distinct memory of being like I'm doing something really grown up right now and I'm gonna be like I am so cool and then it all come crashing around me but like that felt like a really beautiful cinema moment of uh, <laughs> of of um realization and it was a really fabulous cinema that's beautiful, Joan. Thank you so much. Mimi, do you have any top memories you'd like to share? You know, only much more recently, this isn't really going back to my childhood, but it was, it was just one of those moments that literally left me speechless. I was in, um, we have Thursday afternoon silver screeners, which are um, classic films, all um, dementia friendly, but a real mix um, of senior audience members. And I had treated myself and sat in on um, Singing in the Rain and it, because only because I'd mentioned to a colleague that I'd never seen it. So she was like, well, you've just you've, you've got to do it. And the audience who were of a fairly mixed age range, but a lot of them really struggling with dementia, sung along to an awful lot of it. And it was that yeah. kind of oh my gosh, it's an interactive experience. I wasn't expecting this. And I wasn't expecting them to know that, you know, remember the lyrics. Um, 
I, it was really emotional. And it was also, mm -hmm. I think, because of it, it reminded me why we do this job, you know, mm -hmm. why we all work in film and what the impact is and the beauty of it. Um, but yeah, that's probably my most memorable moment to date. And yet it's more recent. That's gorgeous. Um, yeah, I mean, I suppose um, I'm of the generation where we used to go on dates to the cinema and stuff like that. So um, uh, teenage life is my memory um, of cinema, my initial memory of cinema. Um, I remember lots of stuff. I remember standing up at the end of Superman and, and embarrassing my entire family by saying, well, that was shit really loudly, <laughs> um, uh, which is, was wrong. I was, I'm, I'm willing to admit that I was wrong. It's a good film. Um, it's not a work of genius, but it's not bad. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know, it was older. When I first got the job with Film Hub, we, we used to, before the pandemic, we have a lot of kind of network meetings where we all meet up from right across the UK. And we went to Brighton and um, we went to a cinema called The Dukes. And uh, the Dukes is now a picture house, part of the picture house chain, but it's the oldest still screening cinema, I think, in the whole of the British Isles, I think, um, even older than the Strand. And um, it's a one room cinema with a balcony. And um, I mean, I'm old enough to remember going to one room cinemas uh, with a balcony. But um, I remember thinking, sitting, having a pint and watching, I think it was the... Um, What's that one with Michael Keaton with the drum, jazz, drum back, background? Birdland, is it? Yeah. Birdman. Birdman, Birdman yeah. that's it. So watching that and watching below me this whole kind of, you know, sea of humanity all watching the film and stuff like that and thinking that this was what you would call a happy place. If you had to define a happy place, that's where it would be. But my happiest memory um, is also in a one-screen cinema called The New Vic. The New Vic is now long gone. It was... Uh, next to, well, it, where the Grand Opera House extension is, was the New Vic, also known as the Hippodrome before that. And my mum, for some reason, around about time of second year or first year, decided that we would go to see lots of film matinees. So we went to see a film called Whoops Apocalypse, which is now a long forgotten British comedy film with Rowan Atkinson and Peter Cook. Um, and, but then we also went to see Gandhi, uh, which was out in the cinema. And if anyone remembers Gandhi, I mean, it, it, it doesn't really screen very often. It's not ever shown on TV, but the colours in Gandhi are extraordinary. Now, the new Vic was velvet. Everything was velvet. It was velvet curtains and seats. And, you know, that would be like, just like the Strand, actually. But, but like this was a gold velvet. It wasn't red velvet. It's really weird. And a big screen. And we sat on the balcony. We were the only people in the cinema that day. And we sat on the balcony right front and centre and watched this kind of enormous screen, this kind of story of a of a guy in South Africa and in India and all that sort of stuff. And um, that is my happiest memory of being with my mother and, and watching it there. So there you go. I have a good story about those one screen cinemas. Mm -hmm. We do um, heritage tours and uh, mm -hmm. I had this gent in part of a men's shed group and he was saying, I remember the first time I came here to the Strand and we're down in what's now screen two, but was the front stalls. He said, I was sitting in here on the cheap seats, we called them, because you're always down the front stalls. And I've never been in a bigger building. And you'd look up, you could see everybody behind you. And uh, and then when I looked right up the ceiling, I could see fireflies. And I thought, what doesn't sound right? <laughs> 
Um, and then he went on. Then I realised it was those posh buggers up in the balcony flicking their cigarettes at us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ruining our velvet seats. <laughs> yeah, I can. I can remember. I can remember smoking in the cinemas as well. Same. Oh, well, not in England, but in in Greece, smoking in cinemas. Oh, it's yeah. just a very wild experience at a, a children's film festival with, <laughs> with, <laughs> with the screen like absolutely full of smoke and the films don't start till 10 o'clock at night. It was, it was actually brilliant. I, loved yeah. it. <laughs> I remember going to see um, Natural Born Killers in Prague and um, at one stage the frame moved so the, the subtitles disappeared. It was in English, so the subtitle this riot broke out around us, and we were kind of going, "What's the problem? What's happening?" And then it was only about afterwards that we realised that actually the whole, you know, that, that most of the people couldn't read them anymore. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's brilliant. Well, I think that's a really lovely place for us to um, to wrap up. And I guess one of the points that we had mentioned at the start of the podcast was thinking about what is the future of cinema. And what are we going to have in the future? And I don't know about you, but hearing those stories, the only thing that I really want is just to be right back in there, having more ridiculous <laughs> anecdotes happening around me with hilarious people in the audiences. So thank you all so much for being here. I appreciate that so Pleasure. much. Thank you, Amanda. Super. Well, that's great. Well, thank you all so much for your time, everyone, and your, your efforts in making this possible. Really appreciate it. No problem at all. Good. Our work here is done. <laughs> <laughs> Job done. <laughs> <laughs>